Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. It is April 1st, and I am Teddy Cahill. Uh, it is not April's Fool's Day uh, for the Baseball America Top 25. We have uh, another new ranking over at BaseballAmerica.com, and UCLA remains number one. Uh, Stanford has moved up to number two, and that'll set up a very fun series next weekend up on the farm, number one, playing number two. We will get to that later. Number three, Vanderbilt. Number four, North Carolina State. And number five, Mississippi State, uh, which fell off from number two after a series loss against LSU this weekend. Uh, we have three new teams in the top 25. Uh, coming in are Connecticut, Oklahoma State, and UCSB. So it was another big weekend of college baseball around the country. We clearly have a lot to get to. And uh, so now I will welcome in Dave Serrano and Joe Healy. How's it going, guys? Glad to be back, Teddy. Yeah, happy to be here, Teddy. Looking forward to talking about college baseball. Yeah, it was uh, it was a good weekend around the country. Uh, some some intriguing matchups, and I think the the most intriguing matchup coming into the weekend. Uh, and I say this maybe a little bit selfishly since I was there, uh, but it was Mississippi State taking on LSU. Uh, I, I know there were there were several good good matchups everywhere, but you know that one, it being a, a bit of a rivalry series, and LSU coming in kind of needing something out of this one after uh, you know they came in on a three game losing streak. They had just lost a series at Georgia, and I honestly just kind of been scuffling through the first six weeks of the season. It, it, they had not been clicking on all cylinders. Meanwhile. Mississippi State absolutely rolling, having won uh, the, their first six series when we lost three games total coming into the weekend. And so that, that, that set up a pretty big SEC West showdown. And Mississippi State won the first game on a Thursday night. The new Duty Noble Field got shown off to a national audience for the first time. They're on ESPNU uh, with uh, broadcasters Tom Hart and, and Kyle Peterson taking it in from the left field lofts. Uh, out there, uh, they, had, they had some good food out, out there, and, and really got the the full experience of the the new stadium. Um, and it was a great night for Mississippi State. They won six to five, and uh, it, they they played really well. Got to Zach Hess, and and their offense looked like one of the best offenses in the country, which it has been really all season long. And then from there, uh, things kind of swung LSU's way. And, and LSU won the last two games of the series. They, they won on Friday night, 10-5. to 5. They really took it to JT Ginn. Uh, they're the first team to do that in, in the uh, freshman's career. Uh, I know Florida got to him kind of late in, in his start down there. But in this case, LSU was on him really from the start. And then they finished it off with an 11 to 2 win on, on Saturday. It was really an, an emphatic series uh, finale. For the Tigers, just the, their offense was was really solid, just top to bottom. But it was mostly just a steady drip. They, Anton Antoine Duplantis hit a couple home runs, and there was a double in there. But almost everything else was just singles and walks and taking advantage of Mississippi State mistakes. And uh, the Tigers did a great job of that, and, and they walk away with a big series win. And combined with some other results around the conference and specifically the SEC West, where uh, you had Ole Miss uh, upsetting Arkansas on the road, taking that series. You had A&M 
drawing a series against uh, Missouri. And the SEC West division standings now look like an absolute jumbled mess. But before we get to that, I mean, I from, from what we saw this weekend of LSU, specifically their offense, which had really struggled to generate runs last week at Georgia, uh, really no shame in that, but then had gone shut out at Alex Box Stadium on, on Tuesday night by McNeese State. Uh, they, they just had been scuffling offensively. Uh, what they showed specifically offensively seems like they're now finally clicking as we hit the midway point of the season. But what did you guys think? I mean, just what, what kind of statement does this weekend make for LSU? Well, I, this is Dave. I, I don't know. I don't know this early on, Teddy, that it makes a statement. I think going in, we probably all were thinking that Mississippi State would win this series, just how both teams kind of have come out of it. But I think this is typical LSU. I mean, over the years, this is the time of year, or maybe even a little bit later, when Coach Maneri gets the Tigers rolling, and maybe they get it going a little sooner. I think they they definitely needed this weekend a lot more, even though when you look at the standings, Mississippi State now sits at five and four. So you could easily say they needed the standings. But a huge a huge series win, especially after losing the first game in, in an absolute crazy atmosphere, I'm sure, that you experienced down there. And uh, kudos to LSU. I mean, that was they needed that. They got it. And now let's see if they can continue to roll. And I think Mississippi State has some things that they need to work on. Yeah, it, I, I'm – I think the biggest thing that for from an LSU standpoint that impressed me was just their ability to kind of fight and show that fight. And we, we talked about this a little bit just as a, a peek behind the curtain in our rankings meeting last night. And we talked about how LSU's just been kind of a little bit inconsistent and a little bit flat at times. And the wins are still there. The record is still good. They've still, um, you know, put some quality wins out there. They Their record is still solid in SEC play. But it's just felt like they've kind of fallen flat far too often for his team as talented as they are. So I came away from the weekend thinking like, okay, these guys do have some fight in there. There's a little bit of fire in there. Um, it would have been really easy for them to have been satisfied with one win and say, hey, it was a road series against the number two team in the country. Like, what do you, what do you want? Um, but they went out and they won that series. And, and like you mentioned, Teddy, like they, they beat Mississippi State. It wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't a fluky thing. It wasn't a, you know, missed call. It wasn't one play that went one way and not another that determined the series. Like they really just outplayed Mississippi State and earned that series win. And and I think the, the the thing about it is with Eric Walker back, I mean, you're starting to see, we talked about the pitching a couple weeks ago or for over the last couple weeks, actually about, you know, how it's going to look. And, and, you know, if you're saying that Zach Hess has, has shown some inconsistency, but if we've seen what he's capable of with some of the performances he's put up in two of the last three weeks now, um, and then you add in Eric Walker being Eric Walker, um, we know how solid he can be. Um, you're starting to kind of see that, okay, you know, maybe the, the core of what this pitching staff is going to look like over the second half is starting to come together. And I think that's really, really good news. Yeah, I think that that is a great point. Eric Walker threw seven scoreless innings on Saturday to really, I mean, he's, he's out there throwing in the upper eighties with this fastball, which was an increase over the last few weeks. Uh, but you know, he, he is who he is. And, and that's a, a guy that really relies on, on his control and just, you know, being able to mix and match against these guys. And, uh, you know, he was very successful doing that as a freshman in, in 2017 on the team that, that of course, finished as runner-up. But uh, before he, he then got, um, he had to get Tommy John surgery uh, that year and, and missed all of last year. And he still had been kind of working his way back the first few weeks uh, of the season here. And it, it seems like he found something uh, against Mississippi State, and and if he is back, that is hugely significant 
Uh, Cole Henry, the freshman right-hander, threw really well on, on Friday against Ginn. Uh, Henry got the better of the, the, the power arm freshman matchup. And, you know, if those two can solidify things behind Hess, and it, it sure seems like that's a fully reasonable plan in the second half of the season, I, I think that's very exciting news for LSU. And then I was just impressed. They only used six pitchers in this series. And this is a Mississippi State offense that came into the weekend averaging nine and nine and a half runs a game. And LSU got some really good relief performances from Trent Vitmeyer and Devin Fontenot. And Todd Peterson was pretty good, too, when he came in. And, I mean, the, the fact that they only needed to show those arm, those six arms, I, I thought was pretty impressive. And, you know, there are other guys on that staff that are fully capable of, of uh, you know, going and getting key outs in, in SEC games. So, you know, I, I think that that showed a lot. The fact that the offense got back going, I think, was impressive. And uh, to do it all on the road in a tough environment is also pretty impressive. Now, it, this is also a series that historically, uh, at least in the, the 21st century, LSU has dominated. They haven't lost in a series in Starkville since 2003. Uh, they've only lost a couple of series uh, in Baton Rouge over that time, too. So, I mean, they, they've... This is uh, it's one of the weird things in college baseball, just how much LSU has has owned Mississippi State in recent years. Uh, but, you know, so on paper, this may have been a, a very bad matchup, not not the place you go when you're trying to get healthy. But for LSU, going to Starkville uh, has been good to them, uh, especially under pulmonary. And uh, it was good to them again this weekend. Now, from a Mississippi State perspective, uh, you know, I don't think this is a significant cause for concern. I think LSU just kind of played to its potential for the first time this season. And, you know, this was a team that came into the season ranked number two in the country. But Dave, you mentioned that Mississippi State kind of showed some cracks. I mean, just what what do they have to do now, do you think, to to kind of get back on track? This is the first time they've lost a series this season. And, of course, that means it's the first time Chris Limonis has lost a series as Mississippi State's head coach. Well, I, I, I can only go off of the comments I heard after the series, uh, Teddy, and I thought they were really interesting. I heard uh, Coach Lamonas talk about that they got to get back to work to the details of making themselves a good club. But I thought even more interesting, and every coach is going to say that when you lose a series, you got to get back to ABC baseball and working on the things. And he talked about focusing this week now on the midweek game and then going into Tennessee and playing. But I thought Jake Magnuson had a, had, a, had a wonderful comment. He talked about that last year when they had a, a very successful season, they were always looked down upon that they weren't very good, they weren't very good, and they just kept, kept proving people wrong. And now they may be reading their press clippings a little bit. They're ranked two in the country. They may be feeling better about themselves than they should. And he thought that the team really needed to get back to that grind and that that nobody's watching you and you just got to keep proving people wrong. And I thought that was really interesting for him to say that obviously a, a great player, probably a better leader than even a player. And that's saying a lot for that, but I, I thought that was interesting and, and it'll be interesting to see how they rebound off of this weekend, going on the road, coming into Knoxville. And now it's a big weekend for them, just like it's a big weekend for Tennessee too, but it's a big weekend for them because they're sitting as much as we've given them accolades, they're sitting five and four in the West now. And, um, you know, we all know that the records aren't going to be great in the West because it's such a jumbled mess with a lot of good teams. 
But this is a big weekend. It's time for them to, to really get going to be that team that, that a lot of people, including us, think they can be. So I think Dave's point is well taken in that, you know, they're five and four in the SEC and the SEC, particularly the West division is a gauntlet. I think one thing you got to think about though, too, is that their, their SEC schedule has been a little bit front loaded at this point. I mean, they've already had Florida, they've already had Auburn and had to deal with, with Tanner Burns and in, in that offense. And they've, they've already faced off against LSU and there's still some tests ahead. They've still got Arkansas. They've still got Georgia. Um, but the second half of their SEC schedule is notably softer than their first, just not to say soft. So, you know, that's a, a parsing that out a little bit, but compared to what they've already faced, uh, the second half of their SEC schedule is a little bit softer on them, which I think will make it to where, you know, I think that five and four might look a little bit off considering we just had them rank number two, but I don't think it's really necessarily indicative of, of anything larger. And I think that, uh, you know, this team's going to be fine moving forward. Yeah, I think that when you're looking at this Mississippi State team, I mean, they, they still have a lot of things going for them. Ethan Small pitched really well again on Thursday night. And I think this was a this is probably going to end up being a blip for JT Ginn. I think that LSU creates a really difficult matchup just because they have so many left-handers in the lineup and Ginn's stuff, um, you know, just the way the ball moves, he's so incredibly hard on right-handers, but obviously that means left-handers get a little bit of a better look against him. I would say going forward, the concern for Mississippi State would be that they now, I think you have to, say that they have a hole in the rotation behind Small and Ginn. Keegan James last week wasn't great against Auburn. He didn't get the start this week. Um, they kind of tried to piece things together. That did not work either. So they, they need to find something there on Sundays, whether that's Keegan James figuring it out, whether that's um, you know someone else stepping up. Wh- whatever the case may be, they need to find a way to, to fill that hole. Their one-two punch is as good as anyone's in the conference and potentially in the country. Uh, but what's coming behind that is a little lacking. So they, they need to, you know, find something to, to fix that on, on Sundays. I, I just don't know that they have as much depth in the pitching staff as some of these other teams do. But, you know, it, it, as long as their offense is going, this isn't going to be a huge issue. And the, I, I think as, as they get into, you know, further weeks, like, like Joe's saying, I mean, the, the, the schedule is going to ease up a little bit. They've already, they've already seen some really, really tough teams. So uh, the, the SEC West is a cage fight this year, but I, they have already, uh, you know, seen Florida and LSU, and uh, those are two of the better teams that, that they're going to face um, in, in conference play this season. So, I mean, we've kind of talked around the SEC West standings a little bit here. Uh, basically, the the point of that is that there are six teams in the West separated by about two games. You have A&M at the top at 6-2-1, and one, and, and uh, then you have a few teams at 6-3, and three, and then the two Mississippi schools are 5-4. and four. Alabama at 2-7 and seven is, uh, is on the cellar. And just a quick point on the tide, that they are a better team than they were last year. And I don't know if the record will show it at the end of the year just because of how hard this division is. Uh, but even when you see Alabama on the schedule, you know, it's not it's still not an easy week. I know Florida just got healthy against them and, and swept the tide. But, uh, you know, Bama is not necessarily to, to be taken lightly uh, as, as these teams go through the West. But right now, as we stand three weeks into this uh, with the jumbled mess that is the SEC West, who who do you guys see as the favorite, or who's your pick to to win this division in the end? Well, I'll start it out. 
you know, I think it's a little early to, to be making predictions. I think there's a lot of good teams, as you indicated, and I agree with you. I think Alabama is a better team this year. They're just – they've got a gauntlet ahead of them because of all the teams that are ahead of them in the, in the West. But I think it's going to come down to a couple things, Teddy. I think it's going to come down to who can stay injury-free. That's going to play a big part, as it does in every season for every, every team. And then one of the things that I looked at, uh, earlier this morning that I thought was interesting is that, and this is by no means any disrespect to the East, because I think the East has some good teams. They've got some teams that have started off slow a little bit in conference and they're having a little bit of down years. But I think where you look at it, where Texas A&M has already played nine games against against the East and 6-2-1, and one. you've got uh, LSU is 4-2 and two already against uh, the East. Auburn is 5-1 and one against the East. Then you look at Ole Miss, who's only played three games. They're one and two, and Mississippi State is two and one against the East, and Auburn is or Arkansas is three and zero. Oh. Uh, I think that could play a factor as we go, and I, I believe some of the teams in the East will continue to improve. But I think what we're seeing already is there's a lopsided of the two divisions, and some of the teams have already got got some wins against the East, and some teams haven't played those games yet. So I that could play a factor. But I think it's going to come down to who stays injury-free. I think uh, A&M, Arkansas, Mississippi State, LSU—they're all—they're all good teams, including Ole Miss. Um, it's going to be a dogfight to the end. It's going to be a dogfight. But I think who you have left on your schedule, especially off the East, could play a factor who wins the the, the West Division, in my opinion. I'll just go with Mississippi State. Um, you know, I, I think they're the most complete team. You know, I think the team. Uh, that I feel the best about in all facets of the game. I mean, they, they've had some some bullpen issues, yes. Maybe the third starter is a little bit of an issue there. But, you know, on the third starter, like I, I'm going to bet on, you know, when they have a couple guys in Keegan James and, and Peyton Plumley who have been around the block a time or two already for, the, for that program. You know, I feel better about that than, you know, some of the other teams around the country and in the conference who have similar issues and don't have kind of proven guys like that. And, and, you know, bullpen issues kind of just happen, especially when you play in the SEC. So I'm not too terribly worried about that. And when you take an offense that goes about 12 deep with guys they trust and you've got the one-two punch of Small and Ginn and um, just the volume, the sheer volume of guys they have in the bullpen they can put out there. I mean, this is not one of those teams you see that relies on a hand, you know, four or five guys on the mound. I mean, they can, they can run any number of guys out there. And I, I really kind of like that depth they have there. So, um, you know, who knows when we're talking, the margins are so small, you know, the, the best team in the West might just go 18 and 12 or 19 and 11. And so when you're talking about the margins being that small, one or two games, um, really anybody could come out on top of it, but I, I'd probably pick Mississippi state at this point. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, that's definitely a good point. The, the, a winner of this division is not going to have 20 wins. Like, I think we can say that right now. The Whoever wins the East is probably going to win at least 20 games, but the, the winner of the West is is not going to do that. And the, so with those really fine margins and, and with us only being three weeks into this, obviously a lot, um, you know, there's just going to be a lot that goes into this. It's, it, it could just be a matter of, um, you know, the schedule, like, Dave, like Dave's talking about, injuries obviously are going to play a role. Uh, you know, A&M, so getting a bit beat up right now. And it also may just be a matter of, you know, something kind of fluky happening. And, and maybe, uh, you know, that some somebody's number nine hitter gets really hot one weekend and hits like four home runs and they unexpectedly win a series because of that. And ultimately, that's the difference. You know, any number of things could could happen here. I, I think right now, and maybe I'm being a 
little bit um, prisoner of the moment, just having seen this happen. I think I'm going to go with LSU. I, you know, I think that coming into the year, we felt like they had the most talent. And I guess I'm just going to bet on that talent winning out, uh, especially as it seems like, right, at least right now, they're, they're kind of rounding into form. And if that is going to continue, I think that, that the Tigers you know, really can get going here uh, as we get into the second half of the season. But that is going to be something that we will, of course, be closely following as the, the year continues. Now, out west, uh, where, again, the Pac-12 has the number one and the number two teams in the country, UCLA and Arizona State kind of took care of business this weekend. Oregon State and Arizona State really took care of business in rivalry series. Oregon State goes up to Washington, gets a sweep against the Huskies. Uh, they walked it off, or they did not walk it off. They, they won in, uh, in extra innings late uh, last night. And then Arizona State won an absolutely wild game to finish off a sweep of Arizona uh, at home. They did walk it off uh, in a 16 run uh, or 16-15 affair, I believe it was, 17-16. It was a lot of runs. And I, those two teams really have, uh, they, they went about it different ways this weekend. Arizona State uh, really bashed their way to a series win, and Oregon State pitched their way to a series win. That's kind of just the way those two programs work right now. Uh, so that's to be expected. But to, for them to, to have gone on, in, in Oregon State's on the case on the road uh, and, and gone a sweep, I think is uh, is pretty impressive, and, and they're both in the top ten. There are four Pac-12 teams in the top ten now, and I think that you know we talk about the SEC West and how exciting that race is going to be. I mean, the the Pac-12 title race is setting up to be very interesting as well, with these four teams going at it over the next several weeks. But you know, just as we look at what Oregon State and Arizona State did this weekend, I, how uh, what what stands out to you guys from uh, from those results? Well, I I think it was pretty impressive what Oregon State did going up to Washington and sweeping it with what I believe is a good Washington team and a tough place to win uh, on the road at. Um, and they're doing it without their their best guy, one of the best guys in the country, and Kevin Abel. And, and they've done it now for four weeks, and they continue to win. They're 19-5 and five now, and they're doing it with <clears throat> pitching. You know, there's there's two ways to look at it. They say pitching wins defense, but it wouldn't hurt to have an offense like Arizona State either. And they're putting up gaudy numbers. Uh, they're uh, just unbelievable numbers from them. That was a, I think it was, I believe it ended up 17-16 last night, Teddy, in that marathon game that with Arizona State and Arizona. But the Sun Devils continue to do remarkable things. And you know, uh, early on we kind of had our doubts, but. They're continuing to prove many people wrong about them, that they are a good team. I wouldn't want to face their offense right now, uh, not in yesterday's game, uh, in the 17-16 game, but they're getting a fair shake of pitching too. And um, if they can continue to improve on the mound with the offense they put up, um, it's going to be tough. And like you said, I mean, we've talked a lot about the SEC West, but the West and the Pac-12 to me is something to talk about. That's, to have those that many teams in the top 10 and the kind of seasons they're having, I think that's that league that's been a little down lately, even though they won the national championship last year, um, that's a tough league, and, and uh, they're going to be reckoned with by the end of the season for sure. Yeah, I think it, it's interesting that 
Oregon State has ended up being pretty much exactly kind of as we expected them to be, and, and they've ended up where we thought they would be, because um, so often we, we end up being wrong about these things, or things just aren't quite as we expected them, And uh, but it, it's kind of funny how that's that's worked out, because their pitching has been really, really good, and obviously we expected Kevin Abel to be a big part of that, and he still probably will be by the time it's all said and done, and, and first of all, I can empathize with a back issue, you know, I as, as someone who is now uh, over 30, and uh, it gets randomly hurt just doing things like that. And I hurt my back a few weeks ago, so I, I can totally empathize with having a nagging back injury, but I know how that goes. But like, it, anyway, so they've just, it's been impressive what they've been able to do, just kind of dropping Brandon Isard in there. And, you know, Christian Chamberlain's one of the very best bullpen weapons um, in the entire country. Um, and the offense is just kind of okay. I mean, Adley Rutschman's been been absolutely fantastic as we expected, but, but outside of that, they they just don't really have the offensive depth they've had in the past, particularly last year, and, and it hasn't really mattered a lot. Will it matter in the end? Who knows? We'll, we'll see. But um, for, for right now, they're kind of just finding ways to win games. And, and Dave alluded to Arizona State's pitching kind of being, you know, sneaky good in some places. And I highlighted this in the the uh, top 25 uh, rundowns I did for our rankings. And, um, you know, a couple guys there have been really good for him. Alec Marsh is one of them, kind of quietly been one of the more effective starting pitchers in college baseball and he's not doesn't have huge gaudy strikeout numbers or anything like that but um you know he's 7-0 on the year 0-94 ERA opponents hitting just 213 against him um and then Sam Romero is another guy who is kind of a, more of a swing role but he's been using the bullpen of late and he's been really good as well ERA under one he's thrown 27 and a third innings pitch this year um he's been kind of one of those guys a little bit of a Swiss army knife he can he can get you a couple big outs or he can throw four innings and in relief for you and I think uh you know you really like having a guy like that uh, that provides that kind of versatility so you know Arizona State's obviously an offensive show and that's where they're gonna that's where their bread is buttered but uh, there's a couple pitchers there too so if they can kind of continue to round that into form I think it makes them even more dangerous yeah, over in uh, Off the Bat today, which you can read at BaseballAmerica.com, and my updated aid for Omaha, I uh, I moved Arizona State in, and them moving into the field really is about, I mean, yeah, they hit the ball a ton, and that offense is dangerous. Uh, but, you know, I the, what they've done on the mound has been impressive, and I think what they're doing on the mound is enough that when you combine it with their incredible offense, and they have a very solid defense, they're fielding... 974 is a team, which is, uh, you know, very good. And, and when, you, when you put all of that together, I think that, you know, that's just a really tough matchup. Now, I want to see what they do against Oregon State in a couple weeks because that's a premium pitching staff going up against their premium offense. That's just going to be a fun matchup throughout the series. But, you know, they're not going to necessarily face many teams like that in a super regional probably with, with that kind of pitching. So, if they get there and, you know, there's every reason to think they can just bash their way through a regional, regardless of, um, you know, how much pitching they, they would need for that. I just don't know how many pitching staffs they're going to potentially run into that could shut that offense down to the point where, you know, I, they're just going to be an incredible matchup problem for whatever, whoever they draw in the postseason. And, you know, so I think that, you know, we really can seriously start thinking about Arizona State uh, in Omaha, and then I will absolutely be fascinated to see uh, just where Spencer Torkelson and Hunter Bishop and, and everyone else can can hit balls in that ballpark because, uh, you know, it's fun to see guys with that kind of power in that park. I, you know, that that's kind of where I'm at with Arizona State right now is I, I think that this is a team that we're going to be talking about an awful lot in June, and their pitching is a big part of the reason why. 
Now, I mentioned we had three teams moving into the top 25 this week, uh, UConn, Oklahoma State, and Santa Barbara. It started with UConn uh, of this group. They're, they're, they move in at number 22 overall. And we, we've talked about UConn. You know, we talked about them when they, uh, when they beat Louisville on opening weekend down in Florida and talked about them as, as they've started the American well last week, uh, winning the series at Houston. And they kept that going this week with the series win uh, at UCF. And, and it's a team that just is really solid. They now have Mason Fioli back at the front of the rotation, and, and that's a big piece for them to have. Uh, you know, he was an All-American last year. He's you know, another premium left-hander coming out of, out of stores. With, uh, it's becoming a factory for left-handed pitching lately. And you know, UConn has done really well through a difficult schedule. They've played almost every game on the road this they, they had their home opener on Tuesday. They played two midweek games at home uh, last week. That, that, that's the entirety of the time they've spent in Connecticut. You know, so to be 17-9 and nine on the road, to have some of these series wins that they have, Houston and UCF are, are scuffling a little bit this year relative to where they often are. Uh, but those are solid series wins. Uh, you know, in the conference, you need to be winning those series if you want to seriously contend for the title with ECU. And UConn's done that on the road. And, and this week, they're finally going to go and have a home series, which is big for them. And I, I just think at, at this point, the Huskies look like a, a team that, that is uh, you know, a, a veteran, mature team, which they are. And uh, they, they've done a very good job handling this, this difficult early season part of the schedule that in some ways they're used to. But in, you know, that, that never could be minimized just how hard it is to go on the road, play good competition, and to come out with a record like 17-9. and nine. So... I think if you're looking for a challenger to ECU in the American this year, uh, UConn is the team that you're looking at, particularly after watching ECU just roll through UCF and South Florida and uh, Houston lose its first two series. So uh, UConn's kind of rising to the top there. And that, that'll be an inter- interesting series in a few weeks when they take on the Pirates. Now, Joe, what... Uh, We've got Oklahoma State coming in. They're five and one in the Big Twelve. They're coming off of a big series win at TCU. Uh, what do we make of the Cowboys? Well, first, I think we we make you know make make the the, the observation that the Big Twelve I think is just going to be um, unpredictable uh, this year. I mean, I, and, and that's good. It's, it'll be entertaining. It's just uh, you know we we've kind of cycled through you know. You know, is Oklahoma maybe the third best team behind Texas Tech and Texas? And and maybe they still will be, but, you know, they lose a series, so they fall back. And, you know, we were high on Baylor early in the season, and they dealt with those injuries. And now, you know, they're probably another couple good weeks of, of, uh, of play from being back in the top 25 discussion. And now, you know, TCU's been in and out, and, and now Oklahoma State's in. And I think this is probably just kind of what we're going to see from the Big 12, and I think that's good for the league. I think it's going to, you know, provide some quality wins, and I think it's going to be another season where, um, they have more teams than not uh, in regionals come the uh, come the end of the year. Oklahoma State, it, it's kind of funny. I, I look at their team and I, I kind of compare it to what they did last year, and it feels like they're doing what they did last year to be successful, just doing it better this time around, at least at least to to this point. Because the, the pitching is better. I mean, last year they they really struggled to, to kind of put together consistent pitching outings back to back to back, um, and this year it just kind of feels like. Um, they've done a little bit better job in that regard. And, and they're using what I like to call the NC State method, which is, you know, not long starts. They're not really looking for three guys to give them seven innings, although I'm sure Josh Holliday and his staff would, would take that. But that's not really what they're doing here. I mean, they're they're throwing the starters out there they trust, and they're, they're really quick to go to the bullpen if they need to, and they're leaning on 
um, you know, just trying to patch together outs and mixing and matching and making things work. You know, Jensen Elliott's the only guy who's taken the ball every weekend as a starter. Um, everybody else has been kind of been kind of pieced together. Uh, you know, but but in the bullpen, you know, Ben Leeper's been big, and, and Peyton Battenfield, a veteran out there, has been um, been big. And you know, Brett Stanley's had had his moments. He's a guy who's who's started games as well. Um, you know, and, and if you'd told me before the year, I mean, Logan Gregg was such a big part of, um, you know, why I was a little more bullish on Oklahoma State than I would have otherwise been. And, and he hasn't hasn't really found his stride yet. He is, ERA is still eight on the season, so that could be another piece that rounds into form makes them even a little bit better on the pitching side. Offensively, it's still an offense predicated on on power, and it's still an offense that's going to strike out a ton. I mean, there was talk before the season about you know maybe they'll. Maybe that'll be cut down this year. Maybe they put more balls in play. And, you know, as it stands right now, they have 250 strikeouts in 26 games, which, you know, about 10 a game. Um, and the optics of that, when the offense is not going well, are just bad. That just looks bad <laughs> when you're not scoring runs and you're striking out 10, 12 times a game. Um, but the flip side of that is when it when you're going well as an offense, um, you know, you can have a lot of success. And that's kind of what we saw this weekend against against TCU, where, you know, they had their backs against the wall in game two and they get home runs in the ninth from Colin Simpson and Alex Garcia, bang, bang. And now all of a sudden they're winning. Um, you know, and, and in the third game, they got, you know, two home runs from Andrew Navagato early in the game. And that jumped him out to a little bit of a lead. And that was a back and forth game as well. But um, you could kind of see where uh, when it's going well, they're going to be an offense that's going to be hard to slow down, and and the newcomers have kind of been a big part of that. Even though they've they've gotten contributions from some guys we we knew about coming in, you know Carson McCusker, chief among them, but you know Alex Garcia has been a big part of the offense, and and Huey Morrill has been a big part of the offense. They were two of the two of the new guys in the lineup that we maybe had a little bit more of a question about coming into the season. So, you know, I still. You know, if you were to kind of force me to peg where Oklahoma State finishes this year, I still don't really know. It's they're they're kind of the toughest team in that league, and I felt this way since before the season. They're kind of the toughest team in that league to to peg. But right now, they're playing pretty well. And 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 like I said, if if last year they came just this close to winning the Big Twelve regular season title, um, it kind of feels like they have a similar blueprint this year, and maybe they're just a little bit better at it this time around. And and so maybe, um, you know, maybe I haven't been as high on them as I should have been. Yeah, when I uh, talked with Josh Holiday last night after that win, you know, the kind of the message he left me with was just how good the Big 12 was. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think that we're going to see several of these teams continue to roll through. Um, and, and eventually, you know, it's, whoever comes out of this league uh, is going to be a very good team. I think that, you know, we still like Texas and Texas Tech at the top end. But, you know, there's really good talent uh, throughout, you know, we saw West Virginia upset uh, Oklahoma this weekend. That was a big series win for them after they had lost uh, at Baylor last weekend. So to, to bounce back, that was big for the Mountaineers. And uh, it's going to be in an interesting league to watch throughout the year. Dave, the, the last team coming in was UCSB. And I know you, you've been excited about the Gauchos all season long. So what, what has the Gauchos off to such a good start and, and what kind of propelled them to this uh, series win at Fullerton to start Big West play? Well, unlike what, what Joe was just saying and you were saying about the Big 12, I think the Big West is, is probably will come down to a two-team race. I could be wrong about that. There could be some turnarounds along the way, but uh, I think Santa Barbara is one of those teams, and I'd say the Anteaters from Irvine is probably that other team. I think they both have proven that out of the gate with some consistency. The thing about the Gauchos that is kind of puzzling is they're having such a great year 
but there's nothing they're really doing great. They're hitting 288 as a team and playing in Santa Barbara at that field. That's a pretty offensive ballpark. So 288 isn't really crushing the baseball at that at, in, in their home ballpark. And they're pitching at a 369. And Andrew Checkett, that's what his forte is. He's the head coach. He works with the pitchers. Um, that You wouldn't say those are great numbers from the mound. They are getting some great performances, though. I think Ben Brecht, uh, their Friday guy, is 5-0. and He's got some good strikeout numbers, 57 strikeouts to 10 walks. He's setting the tone for the team in game one on Friday. And then Jack Dashwood has fallen. Another left-handed pitcher is 4-0 with 41 strikeouts and, and only nine walks. So it's, it's, they set the tone right there on Friday, Saturday. But I think it's their bullpen that's really pushing them over the edge. Um, in yesterday's game, Michael McGreevy uh, went five and a third innings. He seems like he's their all-everything out of the bullpen. He's, he's got a 4-0 record this year with four saves. So he's, he's been being used in the middle of the game. He's been used at the end of the game, obviously. But to go five and a third on a Sunday to hold a back-and-forth game, and all three of those games at Fullerton were close. It was seven to six. Victory for the Gauchos. They lose 9-7. They hold on to win 8-7. And they were back and forth contests. And I said this last night in our in our top 25 talk. Over a lot of many years, me being in that in that series with Santa Barbara, notoriously, Santa Barbara's usually had their way for, with Fullerton when they play in Santa Barbara. And Fullerton's usually had their way at Fullerton. So I think for the Gauchos, it's a very good sign that they went into Fullerton, even though Fullerton isn't having the typical Fullerton year at this point, but they went in there and won two out of three. There's some guys that are having good offensive years for them too. Eric Yang, Andrew Martinez, and Kevin Mitchell are putting up gaudy numbers. And then Tommy Jew, who I picked as the player of the year in the Big West, isn't having a great year average-wise, but has already put up seven home runs. So they're getting – they're getting it from a lot of different areas, and that, that's kind of a sign of a team that is having a good year, that there's not one area that they're excelling in. They're pretty good in a lot of areas, and their consistency has been pretty good. Um, they get an off weekend this weekend. They play Stephen F. Austin at a conference, so they could kind of regroup a little bit after, after the success of Fullerton. They got USC in the midweek game. But I think something I looked at that is really interesting, they go on the road and play Fullerton. They win that series. I think the three big uh, remaining series for them, UC Irvine, which will be in two weeks at Santa Barbara, even though Long Beach State is having a forgettable season for themselves, they play Long Beach State at Santa Barbara, and then Cal Poly, uh, San Luis Obispo, which is their rivalry, their cross-town kind of rivalry, they play them in Santa Barbara. And I think that's going to play a big role on where the Gauchos end up, and it'll be close to the top, if not the top, when it's all said and done. Because, as I've said, with experience, going to Santa Barbara, there's a lot of elements going on there. It's a beautiful place to play. It's a tough place to play. Um, going there is a tougher environment for, to win in, and I think they have some of the upper echelon teams that are going to be tough to, to beat coming into their own yard. So I think starting 2-1 and one against Fullerton was a big, confidence builder for them and I think they know they're a good team I think we believe where they're a good team too and I I expect them to continue that this run throughout the season yeah it's uh this is kind of the culmination of a lot for for UCSB they've been building to this with some pretty solid recruiting classes and and now they're they're putting it all together and 
Uh, that's going to be an interesting race between them and Irvine. Irvine had to go out to Hawaii, goes uh, two and one out there this weekend to to start Big West play. So that that's going to be a fun one to watch uh, as as that plays out. Uh, the the rest of the conference is going to have its work cut out for it if anyone's going to try and catch up to to the Anteaters and the Gauchos this season. But uh, we will see where that one goes. Now, this weekend out West, I mentioned we have a one versus two matchup. Uh, that is just the 13th time in the 39 year history of the Baseball America Top 25 that one versus two have played a regular season series against each other. First time since 2016 when AM went to Gainesville as the number one team and got swept. So, this is something that, that does not usually happen. And I, I think it's going to be an absolutely fantastic series up on the farm. And, and I think partly because I think that these two teams, UCLA and Stanford, are just so similar to each other that they both have these physical lineups that, that can uh, really hurt you in, in a few different ways. They have pitching staffs that really prioritize strike throwing, maybe over stuff. I mean, they, they don't have either one of these staffs has a ton of just big time arms Eric Miller, uh, you know, for, for Stanford certainly is that. Uh, but it's a lot of guys that, that just sort of kind of pound the strike zone and make life really difficult for opposing teams. And then the, both teams defend really, really well. They're not going to be free passes. They're not going to be a lot of errors. Like, they're going to have to work it for it. And so I think that this weekend presents just a, a – it should be a very compelling series, I think. I think it should be a really fun one just to – to see how this one plays out early in the season. And it's going to have a big impact on the Pac-12 title race, which, as we noted earlier, is going to be pretty interesting. So what do you guys think um, this weekend kind of will hinge on for UCLA and Stanford? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it's going to come down to who pitches better. I think both offenses are going to match each other um, toe-to-toe. But it's a, <clears throat> as you said, Teddy, it's an exciting series. I mean, it's, you know, two – Pac-12 teams ranked one and two. It's going to be on the farm. Again, again, another atmosphere that's tough to play. Um, the, the Bruins will have to go in there and play good baseball. But I think it's going to come down to, to who pitches better and who catches the ball better on, on defense. I think it's – you said it perfectly. They're evenly matched. They're very similar. They mirror each other to some extent. And uh, I think it's probably who gets a little bit better starting pitching and setting the tone of the game will probably go a long ways for this series, but I expect it to be an exciting series, and I expect, it, I expect them to be pretty close games, and I'll be shocked if they aren't. I'm looking forward to seeing you know, how these offenses deal with, with the pitching because they are similar offenses. They've kind of come at it a different, from different directions, if you will, to kind of meet in the middle where Stanford, I remember writing for the first few weeks of the season about how eh, the Stanford offense just really hasn't quite come around yet. We're still waiting for things to click. And, and you look at the numbers and it still kind of feels a little light compared to what the talent level is and what we expected, but moving in the right direction. UCLA has cooled a little bit. I remember... Um, you know, when I saw them against Georgia Tech, I mean, everybody in that lineup was hitting the ball hard and, and their, their team average was up above 300. And um, you, you thought maybe this this is a really complete team, maybe the most complete team in the country. And, and they've still got, you know, uh, the, the numbers are still there in a lot of places. But then when you fa- you know factor in that Jeremy Idens has been out with injury and Michael Tolia just hasn't quite been the same. And Jake Preeze has cooled off quite a bit since when I saw him a few weeks ago. And Matt McClain's been up and down as freshmen often are. Um, you know, their offense is maybe not 
not quite as strong as, as I assumed it would be a, a few weeks ago. So they've kind of met in the middle in that way. But, you know, you get the feeling one of these offenses will break out over the weekend, um, you know, at least, uh, you know, in one of the games or a couple of the games to win the series. And I'm kind of curious to see which one it's going to be. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good point that, you know, any of these teams, either of these teams, you know, really could have kind of a breakout weekend here offensively. And, uh, you know, I think UCLA is kind of, it's been an interesting trend because when you saw them, some of their big bats weren't going yet. Chase Strumpf wasn't, hadn't really gotten it going yet, and now he is. And uh, Michael Toglia has kind of struggled through the first uh, several weeks of the season. He homered yesterday, and, and I think he's starting to come around as well if you look at the last couple of weeks. So, you know, as some of these, uh, they're starting to even out a little bit, I feel like the Bruins are, but, uh, you know, obviously the, the big thing also with them is getting Ryan Garcia back and he pitched pretty well again yesterday against USC. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know how this one's going to swing, but I, I think that it is going to just come down to one or two guys making a big individual performance. I, maybe that's uh you know, someone stepping up on the mound. Maybe that's Zach Petway having uh, the the best game of his season so far, or, or for for UCLA, or, or maybe that's Tim Tawa, uh, you know, doing something really athletic and dynamic um, for Stanford offensively. I, it, it's going to be something um, uh, that that is going to be very interesting to watch, and I, I think that those that do tune into it this weekend are going to be rewarded with a, a great college baseball series. But that is still into the future. We will be back here next week to talk about that. Uh, until then, we, uh, we still have our shout-outs to do, the, the part of the program where we uh, try and bring something to the light, where, which we haven't touched on uh, so far, but, but is worthy of, of everyone's, uh, everyone taking note of it. So, Dave, let's start with you. What, uh, what, did, what stood out to you from, from this week of college baseball? Well, first shout out is to Garrett Gilmore of Coastal Carolina winning, winning, uh, recording win number 1200, which is pretty remarkable. Uh, we've talked about coaches meet, reaching milestones and 1200 wins. So congratulations to Coach Gilmore. Probably a little bit of an under the radar deal because they end up losing the series. But uh, I happened to be in, like in Lexington this weekend, and I got to to see Zach Thompson and uh, take the mound on on. Uh, which was actually Friday, which was game two, because it was a Thursday through Saturday series. So they kept him in his normal rotation. But he took the mound on Friday night uh, with his team 0-7 in the SEC, and he basically took the bull by the horns like uh, an ace would do. He was dominant against a good Georgia team, um, went nine complete innings, only allowed two hits, uh, recorded a career-high 13 strikeouts along the way, recorded – uh, strikeout number 200 in his career, and he went a career high 124 pitches. And uh, Kentucky has had their struggles this year, but I saw a bulldog out on the mound that was uh, no pun intended because he scored the Wildcats. But uh, a guy go out there just uh, was just dealing with good stuff, 93 to 94 flashes, uh, a good breaking ball, a good change. But it was how he competed and. And how he took the, his team on his shoulders and just said, "We're going to get game. We're going to get our first victory." And I saw a Kentucky team play with a lot more swagger and a lot more confidence behind him. So, shout out to Zach Thompson for having a great uh, weekend this weekend. And for my team, uh, shout out. We talked about it earlier. Is the Oregon State Beavers again going out on the road, uh, going up to to 
wash up to Seattle and, and uh, sweep in Washington at home, uh, again, without Kevin Abel and uh, continuing another uh, great season for them, 19-5. and five. So for, their, for them, that they're my team of the week, the Oregon State Beavers. I think that Zach Thompson start was the best pitching performance of the week. That was that was just fantastic in against a, a good Georgia offense to to do that was was rather impressive and, and uh you know that is that this season is not gonna have a whole lot of bright spots for Kentucky, it doesn't look like, but Zach Thompson definitely is one of them. And uh so we'll look forward to him doing that maybe a few more times uh, this season. That, that's the tough part of facing Kentucky, you know, and you're going to have to face Zach Thompson on a Friday night, and that is no easy task. Uh, Joe, what uh, what do you got? So first things first, um, a shout-out to the return of winter this past weekend, and I'm using shout-out as a euphemism for a phrase <laughs> I should not say on a podcast. Um, it's just a rough weekend. I, I saw that, Teddy, you tweeted, or you know, quote tweeted something from Minnesota about it was snowing in their series, which is, I, that's Minnesota, I get it. But, like, it was just a rough weekend everywhere. I ended up kind of scrambling to find games and to get out to. I had a few places I wanted to go, and a lot of them just ended up being rain-affected. And it was that feeling, and, and Teddy, having grown up in the Midwest, you'll you'll understand this as well, just the... You know, that the feeling of you're leaving someplace and then it's starting, it's raining a little bit and then you're seeing the temperature drop and you have that thought of, oh no, am I going to get caught out like and have to drive home in the ice? You know, it's just something that, you know, for me having grown up in, in Houston, I never had to think about until a couple of years ago. Um, but anyway, made it home safely. It was fine. But it was just kind of a bummer that, uh, you know, the weather had kind of seemingly turned in the Midwest. And there's always that one more winter uh, spell uh, just when you think it's over. So that was this past weekend in the Midwest. Um a couple things otherwise. Uh, Western Kentucky, 7-1-1 one one in Conference USA. Uh, they had a Their one was a tie yesterday against Charlotte. It was 13-13, and the, the travel curfew got them. So they uh, they ended up splitting that, uh, that or tying in that game, but, but winning that series. Um, Conference USA has not gone how I thought it would go. It has gone how I thought it would go in that Southern Miss and FAU are at the top of the standings. Um, but, you know, Louisiana Tech has struggled a little bit. Uh, they're just five and four in the league. I thought maybe this would be a bounce back year for Rice. That really has not been the case. Um, they've had their moments, but they've been pretty up and down. And then I thought this maybe was the year FIU would kind of put all those talented pieces together. And they're just two and seven in the league. So um, kind of a mixed bag, but maybe one of the surprises there is Western Kentucky competing more towards the top of the league. And a little bit of a shout out within the shout out goes to Jake Sanford, the leading hitter for Western Kentucky uh, for a couple of reasons. One, he's hitting 381 with 14 home runs on the air. Uh, just a fantastic year so far. Also, he's a native of Nova Scotia, which is not really a place that you see a lot of, um, it, you know, it's fairly common to see Canadian baseball players just in general, but in college baseball, but they, they typically come from, you know, British Columbia or places, you know, in, in Ontario around the Toronto area. But uh, you don't see a lot of Nova Scotia represented. So uh, shout out to Jake Sanford in uh, larger uh, in larger point to Western Kentucky out in uh, Conference USA. And then St. John's also. I, I saw the Johnnies yesterday uh, out at St. Louis. Um, seems like they're kind of finding their stride. Uh, slow start uh, for them this year. Um, some of that was against a difficult schedule. We remember they opened with UCLA, for example. But they've won nine out of their last ten. They start uh, Big East play this weekend against Butler, a, a Butler team that seems to be solid once again. Um, and the pitching is just really, really good, uh, for St. John's. I mean, that, that pitching is really going to play in the big East. Joe LaSorsa was good this weekend against St. Louis. Sean Mooney was, was solid yesterday when I saw him against St. Louis. And I feel like they, they had their Saturday game banged because of weather. And, and I think the, I, I did not talk to Ed Blankmeyer about this, but just, 
I thought maybe the hook just came early for Sean Mooney because they had had a game banged and they, and they wanted to get some innings to some other guys um, because he really wasn't, he had had some walks, but he really didn't feel like he was in any sort of imminent danger. Um, Gavin Hollowell uh, pitched well in that game yesterday, which is huge for them. He's been uh, such a weapon of the bullpen for them the last couple of years, but he really has kind of struggled this year. Even after yesterday's outing, his ERA is 818 on the season. So he's going to be a key piece of the puzzle for them. And and they're just going to have to pitch well. The offense was just kind of okay. And, and even yesterday, they they had 16 hits, but 13 of them were singles. So it was kind of a station-to-station offense. Um, they're not really putting up runs in bunches. They're hitting about 250 as a team. So they're going to have to pitch well. But the good news for St. John's is I think they – are going to pitch well. And um, so I, I, you know, I would still put them as the favorite in the Big East, but Creighton's looked pretty good um, as well. And then of course, you know, Seton Hall's always got a chance with a rotation led by Ricky DeVito. So um, fun season ahead for Big East. And it's anything can happen in that league when you only play 18 league games. Uh, but I think St. John's is still the class of that league. Yeah, so that, that is absolutely going to be interesting. I think that maybe St. John's, this is the year they run through it, but we'll, we'll see. There, there's a lot of individual talent in that league and, you know, this weekend when uh, when St. John's goes to Butler, for instance, um, you know there there can be some good pitching matchups coming out of that, and, and so I uh, I'm excited the Big East play is finally upon us. Uh, now, for my shoutouts, I first want to mention we were mentioning the Big East. Let's go back out west though. Uh, the West Coast Conference looks like it's going to be really fun this year. It has been kind of on my radar for a little bit. I don't think I've actually talked about it on the podcast though, uh, but you know, this weekend you had Pepperdine, which uh, kind of had been running out there as uh, as the early uh, leader. They they played a tough schedule. They'd been up there in terms of RPI. That's last year's regular season champion, uh, and they'd started well. And then they went up to Pacific and lost a series. And St. Mary's, the the preseason favorite, went to BYU and lost a series. And I what we have right now is kind of just a, a, a mess of a, of a, a West coast conference standings. And uh, right now, BYU and Loyola Marymount are on, in first place at seven and two. Uh, but the, the first six teams in the league are all 500 or better in, in conference play. And, you know, everyone except for Santa Clara is above 500 overall. And it's still a little early to talk about this, but everyone except for Santa Clara is in the top 100 in RPI. I mean, I guess San Francisco is 102, but uh, everyone is everyone is playing pretty well out in the West Coast Conference. And as much as we've talked about the Big West struggling, uh, the West Coast Conference is kind of picking that up in, in terms of you know being the second best league out West this year, uh, at least in terms of overall depth. I, I don't think they have an Irvine or a UCSB, obviously, as, as they don't have a top 25 team. But yeah, that's that's an entertaining league, and it always it always they, they pitch very well. Uh, they play good, sound overall baseball, and I'm going to be interested to see how that race plays out. So shout out to the entirety of the Big West. And then I also want to mention Matt Lloyd at Indiana. He homered. Uh, he hit two home runs in back-to-back games this weekend. Both Indiana wins at Maryland. I cannot imagine that has happened too many times in the history of the Hoosiers program. Uh, and, and the Hoosiers continue to... Uh, to run off to a pretty good start to the season after uh, you know they got swept at Tennessee. Things have, have really kind of turned around for Indiana since, since the second weekend. And I also want to mention Noah Son, who I feel like I probably have mentioned three times on the pod. Every other week, I feel like I'm talking about Noah Son. Well, this week, uh, the Navy ace struck out 12 batters against Lehigh. 
and he became Navy's all-time strikeout king. He also is the nation's leader in strikeouts this season. He's up to 90 already. Uh, he is a very intriguing senior sign uh, as we look towards the draft with a fastball that reaches the upper 90s. Uh, and, of course, he's also doing this while pitching for the Naval Academy, uh, which is just extra cool and you know adds a lot to his plate given everything that he has to do uh, as a, a student at the service academy. So shout out to Noah Song. And with that, that kind of wraps up this week's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. It was a fun week around the country. And like we got into this week, uh, or you know, earlier, the, the, this coming week is going to be a very fun one as well, highlighted, of course, by UCLA taking on Stanford. But the, the SEC produces some very intriguing series as well. And the ACC uh, finally gives us another top 25 series as Louisville and Clemson show, uh, you know, meet for a showdown. So it'll be a fun week to come. We'll have plenty of content over at baseballamerica.com for you to read uh, as the week continues. And then next week we will be back here on the Baseball America College podcast. So make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast on your favorite app. And if you can, leave us a, a rating or a review. Uh, that helps people to find the podcast, and and hopefully you can uh, you leave us a nice nice review or rating if you get the chance. Uh, and remember to follow us on Twitter. I am at Ted Cahill. Dave is at Dave Serrano eleven, and Joe is Joe underscore on underscore sports. So thank you, everyone, for listening, and thanks to Joe and Dave for joining me here on the podcast. And we'll be back here next week for another edition.